This is No Stop Lights with Ken R. Man, I really hope we're getting better at this. I mean, it's a, um, we built somewhat of a reputation on the radio of, um, of garnering an audience. And we're starting with this podcast, this new fancy schmancy digital podcast that we're, um, that we're launching. No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. I want to thank our sponsors, Mickey Finns, Marlboro PD Electric, Schofields, Carolina Bank, Pepsi of Florence. Before we get to our next guest, uh, I could ramble about this forever. Mickey Finns is a sponsor of ours, and they've given me a complimentary. I think it's complimentary. Maybe I get a bill uh, later. But Jefferson's Ocean, aged at sea. I am a Jeffersonian, and Thomas Jefferson had a theory that if you if you put bourbon in a barrel, put it in the bottom of a ship, allowed it to slosh around, more of the content would come in touch with more of the, the oak barrel. And if it was an ocean, there was a chance that, that a, 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 a tint of that salt would penetrate the barrel and create a... Now, I, in all honesty, it's probably a marketing scheme, but, but I, I'm, I'm a sucker for anything associated with, um, with Thomas Jefferson. Hey, on the radio show, I normally have somewhat of a guideline. I mean, I have articles and I have, uh, you know, video or audio and, and, and we have a, a certain direction we normally go in the mornings. Alan Wilson was kind enough to join us last week. And I, and I respect that the office of attorney general, of South Carolina, uh, I got a guy here and, and I, before we get to, to Will folks, Will folks of Fitz news is with us as our second ever guest on no stoplights. I have a very colorful and sordid political past. And I told Dave Baker when we decided to launch a podcast, I said, Dave, the two guys that I probably had, uh, I don't want to say love, hate, that would be an overstatement, but a complicated relationship was the AG and a guy named Will Folks. And at the time, Brett was going like, Will Folks, that's the guy that does the, the Fitz News. I said, well, yeah, now, but formerly he was the ass buster. I mean, he was the guy that if you left a little blood in the water, I mean, he just, he was the shark. He relished the opportunity um, <laughs> to beat you in the head if you made a mistake. How are you, sir? Good to see you. It's great to be here. And I, I do want to point out, though, it's funny you mentioned that your first guest, the Attorney General, and I have the same kind of relationship. I was I was biting his ass for a while, too. So we got a similar relationship. But, you know, good redemptive relationships are what it's all about. And you guys have been very gracious to me well i mean and you're a gracious soul and i mean this sincerely so let's go back to the beginning in the beginning will <laughs> folks was what i mean what, what what was your first foray into politics i was working for mark sanford the former governor i was his spokesman for about four years and uh when that ended you know didn't really know what i was going to do was doing a little bit of campaign consulting but um started this blog it was a blog at the time and some people still say it's a blog that's fine as long as they click i don't really care what they call it but I started this website, um, and it's not a lot of people know this. The website actually started accidentally. I was on one of these little websites that somebody was commenting about something. This was back when I really still cared what people thought. And I was writing a response to, to some comment that somebody had written, and I hit the wrong button. Ken, I, I hit a button that took me to this page that said, create your own blog in three simple steps or something like that. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm not very tech literate, but sounds like something I could do. So... I did the three steps, and sure enough, it started this blog site that has, over the years, again, it's been about 15 years, has grown into, I guess, one of the larger media outlets in the States. So. No question about it, and one that people pay close attention to, especially those in, in politics. i got to ask you this. I know the answer, but I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> what does Fitz News mean? 
You know, that's a good question. A lot of people ask that question. Yeah, and that's the answer I figured I'd get, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. there, there you go. Of, first in the South is what most people say, and I think that's a good guess, but, you know. Right, good, good deal. Wikipedia we'll, we'll, has some theories on it, too. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it there. So, um, okay, let, let's talk about Mark Sanford. Yeah. You were, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, a true believer. Absolutely. I mean, you believe that Mark was going to usher in that this this reform element of government in South Carolina that was desperately needed um, weaken the legislative branch in our government. Um, to some degree, he succeeded. But by and large, I don't want to say Mark was a failure as governor, but the legislature still dominates the way our state is governed. Um, what in, in, a, in a reflective moment, what do you make of Mark Sanford's political career? A wasted opportunity on so many levels and m- more calculation than, than I was initially uh, hoping he would he would throw out. I mean, here's a guy that, again, like you said, I was a true believer. Uh, this guy outlined an agenda that resonated with me, whether it was, you know, on the economy with giving more money back to small businesses and individual income earners on, on education, giving more money back to individuals via school choice. You know, it was all about sort of empowering individual South Carolinians over the special interest and the big businesses and the status quo. And so that, you know, struck a chord with me and I wanted to be a part of that. But as, as that administration wore on, and I was only in the administration for about two and a half years, I was with him for a year and a half on his campaign. But there was a, a moment I will never forget. It was during one of the debates over uh, one of the tax bills. And they were trying to put some income tax relief into a bill. And it was a, it was a crap bill. I think it was Act 388. It was not a good bill. It was trading some property tax and sales tax in a way that was not smart, looking back. But it was going to pass. And so they came to Sanford and basically said, we will tack on this income tax relief to it. Um, you know, and he basically said, no, he didn't want that because he wanted to keep the issue. He wanted to keep the issue. And when somebody says, I'm not going to take, this would have been millions and millions of dollars that would have come off of people's, you know, people who work hard, who need every penny, every penny. And he didn't want to give it to him because he wanted to keep the argument. He wanted to keep the argument mattered more to him than actually helping those people. And that, that was the point when I was done with it. And, and okay, so, so you leave the Sanford administration. We know how that ended. Um, uh, trip to Argentina and a lot of other uh, escapades associated uh, with that. But but you knew the family well, right? I mean, you knew Mark and Jenny, and you knew some of the. Um, I mean, you were there at the beginning of this of this movie. That I, I mean, I'll level with you. Well, I bought in. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I believed. I mean, I got a big libertarian streak about me. We're talking about Jeffersonian government. I mean, I, I was a limited government. Um, kind of you're guy. Jefferson and Bourbon. Yeah, where, where you're right. You're, you're Jefferson and Bourbon, and then we we can. Uh, oh, Both are good. I'm told. Yeah, there, there you go. There you go. But but no. So so you 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 leave the Sanford administration. You start a blog, mm-hmm. and and you begin, you quickly gain the reputation that if somebody slipped, you were there to bust their ass. Absolutely. Okay. What what I motivated I, you I to be that, that guy? Reputation. Well, I mean, what, but, but what motivated you to be that guy at that time? Well, I felt it was an opening. I felt a lot of people handled folks with kid gloves. And I felt that the perspective that was needed was one that was, again, the the motto is, um, you know, unapologetic. We need voices like that. But I I do want to say this about your situation because I go back now and I look at the things I cover now versus the things I covered then. And the story that your story, I, I go back and I've told people this. I've said, I don't even know if I'd cover it now. It's just not quite, you know, okay, here's a guy that had his own money, sprinkled it around a little bit. It's a campaign finance failure. 
Nobody cares about campaign finance violations anymore. I mean, you couldn't make a campaign finance story sexy enough for me to write about now. I mean, it's just, so I go back and I think about all these things and, and I think about that as it relates to your but story. But were you vindictive, Will? I mean, I okay, why? I mean, what, what, what was inside? Because you and I have talked about this off the air. Yeah. I mean, I, for, for the record, Will and I have developed a pretty cordial friendship. We speak occasionally. He'll reach out to me about my opinion on a certain subject or issue. I'll reach out to Will about his opinion on a certain subject or issue. We actually showed up at a gubernatorial debate together. And, and everybody was like, well, what's going on over there? I mean, two, two outlaws together, you know, kind of pontificating upon whatever the political affairs are. But but I want to go back to, so so you, you kind of gained that reputation uh, of being the guy that will bust somebody in the chops if they make a mistake. Yeah. What, what inside of you, did you relish that? Did you enjoy it? Was it uh, a, kind of a business opportunity you saw and took advantage of? Yeah, but I didn't understand my role in the marketplace at the time. And I didn't even understand that I was in a marketplace at the time. And I think one of the things that I've realized now, I mean, I'm not ever going to stop saying what I think. Sure. I'm not ever going to stop firing the shots at people that I think should be fired. In fact, there's judges out there, you know, I hope their backsides are raw because we're wearing them out over the fact they keep releasing these violent criminals, um, you know, with no bond. I mean, murderers getting out. It's, it's insane what these judges are doing. So I hope we're still wearing people out. But one of the things I've learned, Ken, is that, my job is not just to put that out there, but my job is to host the conversation. And if I am as right as I think I am, I ought to be able to to withstand scrutiny, criticism, um, people coming back with different perspectives. And so I'll, I will tell you, the thing I love about this job is publishing an intelligent opinion that is counter to my own on my site or publishing a, a, a column on my site that criticizes me. Because that makes me better. And I think, so what I've learned is it used to be, okay, let's just pound people without thinking about it. Let's just, you know, balls to the wall, don't even care about anything other than just that objective. But now I think I've figured out that there's a bigger responsibility here, that there's a bigger role for me to play. And I think, honestly, the stuff I put out now has more credibility because I'm doing it that way. Do you think you've made a contribution? Are you interested in making a contribution to politics in South Carolina? Well, I, I mean, I'm raising seven kids in this state. Absolutely. I mean, I'm. Guy has a kid a year. Yeah. I mean, how, how many kids? Seriously, I mean, how many seven kids, kids at what age? Seven kids. 19 is our eldest. Uh, he's a freshman at UNC Wil- uh, Wilmington, and then our youngest is two. So, what's up with that? <laughs> I mean, what, 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 what does a dude, when does a dude decide to just keep having kids? And how do you end up with seven? Well, I'm, I'm not Mormon, not Catholic, and yes, we have a big-ass television in the bedroom, so I, I really don't know. It's kind of, <laughs> I just go where I'm told, that's what I say. But you, you post pictures of your kids on Facebook, and they're adorable. They, they, they really and truly are. Thank God um, for their mother. Okay, uh, as, and I'd love to get your take on this. So I've got three kids. My kids lived um, in, in my political world, but they, they were caught up in uh, my, my political scandal. What are your kids? Do your kids and, and what do you do? Your kids have an interest in what you do, and 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 what do your kid? What do your kids make of uh, what you do? Because you would be a controversial figure, whether you like to be categorized that way or not. Well, they were very in, into the trial of Alec Murdoch. Okay, they were very into that, and I think the the main reason was that Daddy was out of town for basically six weeks. Which, by the way, I'm very lucky to have returned home and not found divorce papers. Uh, and the locks changed because I tell you, seven kids leaving my poor wife, that's that's six weeks that that trial was going. Uh, she is 
a saint, but um, they they were very interested in that. And so when this Netflix documentary came out about the Murdoch case, and I had a small part in that, and they saw me on that, so they were very interested at that point because they're you know it's Netflix, it's that is cool. a celebrity, yeah, it's cool now. And um, but yeah, I I think they you know to the extent they understand it that as they're getting older, certainly my my um. 14-year-old girl and my 11-year-old boy, they're definitely following it very closely, and I think they see stuff on the internet. But So do you consider yourself a public figure? I mean, I don't, I, I do, but I don't like it, but I do consider myself a public figure. I don't embrace it, but I've accepted it. Do, do you consider yourself a public figure, and how do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think if I were, I don't think I'm going to be able to sue anybody for defamation. I think a public figure status is probably pretty established, so yeah. But um, I don't know, man. I, I just... I wake up every day and try and tell good stories and do good work and let, let the rest take care of itself. Uh, when did the Murdoch case hit your radar? And let's go back to the boat case. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, Paul Murdoch wrecks a boat, kills Mallory Beach. Mm-hmm. But, but, but when did, because you're the guy that I expect, and I'm going to say this in the most complimentary way imaginable, you tend to know things sooner than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say this real quick about my political um, scandal. You would report things about my scandal that were more accurate than what I'd call mainstream media. So I'm going, where the hell is he getting this shit from? I mean, who's telling him things that, that you know, and I was frustrated because Will folks reported such and such. And, and I'd go, hell, he's right. But that's exactly the way it went down. That's exactly uh, the conversation we're having with SLED or whomever, the AG's office. And the state newspaper would write things that were somewhat accurate somewhat not accurate but how did you establish yourself as someone who can call on those sources or those sources call on uh, to provide information well uh 2017 was a big year for that because we'd been sued uh by a former lawmaker i guess he was a current lawmaker at the time of a very powerful uh, chairman in the house of representatives and he'd sued me for libel and uh it was a weird case because the person who was at the heart of it. It was the source that was actually on the record who had provided a complaint. Uh, so we had a document, we had a source on the record, but he wanted to get to these other people that had sort of spoken on background. And so he wanted to know who these other, I think it was three people. And so I, you know, even though I had a judge said I had to reveal these folks, I didn't have their permission. And so I had to stand in court and say, look, I, I don't have these people's permission to share their identities. I can't do it. And so um, my wife likes to joke that you know, on the way to the court that morning, because there are all these newspaper articles about it, about, you know, how this bloggers risking jail time. And she said, yeah, you like to pretend that you were all tough, but you were scared. You thought they're going to lock you up. Well, I mean, anybody <laughs> would be at that point in time. Yeah. But, 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 but that but, helped a lot. Cause okay. Think- but, but let's go back to the, to the boat case. Mm-hmm. Um, you begin writing about, about the boat case. I don't want to ask mm-hmm. you your source. I'm certainly not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But, but, um, how did you build, uh, I guess you go from being a blogger Mm-hmm. Here's a better question: Was your intent to go from being a blogger to a respected um, voice in, in, in political and, and, and societal discourse? Oh no, I mean no. Everything's been like I said. I the, the website started accidentally, so there's been absolutely that. That's the most planning that's been in, put into it. I mean, everything has been organic. Everything's been you know, sort of evolving on its own. Um, I've just tried to where opportunities have come up. I've tried to you know, take advantage of them, but this case. Yeah, it was it, it was built on that network of sources. Um, people knew they could send us stuff. They knew we wouldn't rat them out. They knew they we could be trusted to get it right. And so I think all of that played a big part in getting all that information early 
getting it out there and getting the ball rolling. And I think the other thing people knew is that when they sent us that information, some of these other folks might be afraid to take on some of these establishments like the Murdochs, but they, they knew Will Folks, you know, and Fist News would, You're not would not be media. Afraid. Yeah, we're not, you know, we're, we're not afraid to take those kind of power structures on. So, so, so the, the boat wreck happens, you report on the boat wreck. Yeah, we were very focused on the the charges against Paul Murdoch because there were a lot of folks who believed that Paul Murdoch was going to get off with a slap on the wrist for this crash that, that killed this girl that you were talking about, Mallory Were you Beach. motivated to make sure that didn't happen? Yes. Okay, I'll I figure was. that. Absolutely. But I, I know you well enough to believe. I mean, when I'm reading your writing, I'm going like, Will wants to make damn sure yeah. this doesn't get swept under the rug. Is, is that a fair characterization? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. And um, and to his credit, uh, you know, you had the AG Alan Wilson in here uh, last, last episode, and to his credit, the AG in his office pushed very hard on that case. And they made it very clear. Not only did they charge Paul Murdoch hard and heavy, three counts of felony BUI could have landed him in jail for three decades, but they made it abundantly clear to the Murdochs that he was going to do time and that he was going to do significant time on particularly on the BUI resulting in death. And in fact, the, the, the number I got was 12 years. He was going to serve 12 years. And a lot of folks think that that may have been something in the mind of Alec Murdoch, you know, a couple of years down the road when these horrific, uh, you know, homicides took place. So you're riding and covering the boat case, the Absolutely. best of your ability. You're depending on your, your sources to provide you information. You're, you're accounting and memorializing the best way you know how. And then there's a double murder. Yep. Where are you? What's happening? When do you get the heads up that there's been a double murder? Yeah, it was the morning, uh, the morning of the 8th. Woke up about uh, a little before 6 a.m. And, you know, of course, like most people, First thing to do, checking the phone, and there's this barrage of text messages from multiple credible sources, um, four or five individuals. And of course, with each one of them, I'm like, really? Tell you know, because I don't ever let anybody know what I know. So I'm, I'm like, you know, okay, well, tell me more. So they start feeding back information about what what happened. Got it confirmed pretty quickly from some credible law enforcement sources that that, that they were accurate, that this information was accurate. And I remember that morning. Before six thirty, I told my wife, "You got to take the kids to school this morning. I got to get on this. This is going to be big." And sure enough, it story exploded. Uh, and then a few months later, when Alec Murdoch went and uh, you know <laughs> had somebody shoot him on the side of the road down there in Hampton County, that roadside shooting incident that that everyone heard about during the trial, you know that really escalated the story to another level. Because we think- okay, Will, because you're so up close and personal with this story, and you've done. As good a job as anybody I know of covered the story, and I've sent you some congratulatory text about how good a job you've done there. Yeah. So, when did Will folks? When did you become suspicious that maybe Alec Murdoch had a hand in this? Well, we we published a report two days after the homicides on June nine of twenty twenty one, indicating that he was a person of interest in the case. And as I've said on a couple different shows. Um, before could have gone further than that Um, we'd been told primary suspect that was the term that was used however when you're talking to people like dick harpootlin who say basically you print that you're gonna get sued back to the stone age you know you think you think about that and and certainly you have to weigh the credibility of of those sources as you're trying to make that determination but we went with person of interest because it was something that you know i felt 
you know, brought the attention onto Alec Murdoch to the degree that it was warranted at the time. I wasn't going to call him my primary suspect at that point based on what his lawyers were saying. Because, again, I, I've tried to incorporate everybody's side on this. I don't sure. have a side. Sure. You know, I, and in fact, I'll be honest, Ken, I still don't know if he did it. I still don't know if he did it. All I know is I know for a fact he was there at or shortly, you know, around the time it happened. But there's a lot of there's a lot of questions in my mind. Is he covering for somebody? Um, because again, no guns, none of the physical evidence from the scene. There's I, still so many questions that have. I mean, you won't remember this, but I called you one night. We had text back and forth, and I called you and I said, "Will," because I'm an, I'm a good old boy, and, and Will shoots straight. And I said, "Will." Or are we going to hear about damn Mexican drug cartels and Chinese businessmen and, and Russian oligarchs? And, and your response, he said, I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know where we end up um, from here. Is Okay, Alec got charged and, and convicted of double murder. Correct. You just said, I'm still not sure whether he did it or not. Correct. Is there still an Ozark scenario out there that you think is viable? Oh, absolutely. I mean, SLED released State Law Enforcement Division. They released uh, a timeline for the day of the murders, all the forensic, digital forensic evidence that they collected, phone records, steps. Um, the GM data. Yeah, the GM okay. OnStar data. Sure. Um, so all of this data is com uh, compiled into one timeline. And When you go through that timeline, there are some names on there making phone calls to Alec Murdoch. Alec Murdoch's calling these folks back. Some names that are very interesting that have some connections to, let's be, I'll be blunt, some drug networks and we're still trying to find out exactly what Alec Murdoch's place in that drug universe is if he's a drug dealer he's the worst drug dealer in the world because he's got no money I mean if you're a good drug dealer the problem is you, you you're trying to find places to put your money you better right? believe it you're not you're not scambling around for yeah, money you're trying to find a place to hide money exactly and so it just doesn't make any sense where did the money go was there a gambling issue we've seen some reports recently that Perhaps there was some gambling activity. We haven't been able to verify any of that. None of our law enforcement sources seem to think that that's legit. But we're trying to go down every single one of those avenues, investigate every single one of these names, because somewhere is the truth. But but and we I don't, are, think, I don't think we've gotten there. Okay, yet. but but are you the only one pursuing that? Because okay. I would imagine not now. Okay, but but the AG gets a conviction, right? Right. I mean, Alan Wilson's probably the front runner to be governor. Absolutely. I mean, he's on a pedestal right now. He's Absolutely. riding high. I mean, he sat in the courtroom. He rolled the dice. He actually cross-examined a witness. He kicked ass. He did, he did a great job, a phenomenal yeah. job, and I gave him credit. I mean, yeah. and Alan admitted, I'm glad this case didn't come to me 10 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? I probably was not as seasoned as I as I needed to be. But but when you say you don't know that we know the whole truth yet, has SLED of the AG's office, as far as you know, kind of said, mission accomplished, we're done with this, or are there still ongoing investigations no. pursuing some of the unknowns you're talking about? No, there, there are definite, and there is a, an active drug investigation. And in fact, when I grill some of these, um, you know, law enforcement sources and prosecutorial sources, you know, one of the responses I get back is they say, you act like we don't have an ongoing open drug investigation. I mean, come on, give us an opportunity to do our job. And so I am. And I think that, you know, so far they're doing that. Um, I just, I hate to see something that that's this big get just pushed off on one guy. One guy. Uh, and now, do I think that this guy was incredibly um, deceptive in a way that got a lot of people sucked into this web of, of criminality? Absolutely. But I don't think he acted alone. I mean, hell, we've got financial charges pending against two other people. Uh, in fact, the next financial case that's coming up is the case of his former 
uh, made Gloria Satterfield, and there's another co-conspirator who's been indicted, or two co-conspirators indicted at the state level in that case, uh, attorney Corey Fleming out of Beaufort, South Carolina, and Russell Lafitte, the banker who's already been convicted at the federal level of crimes related to Alan Murdoch. So I do think they're pursuing the financial charges. I do think they're pursuing the drug charges. They're obviously still pursuing this investigation of this young man, Stephen Smith, from Hampton, uh, whose death has been linked to the Murdoch family. I'm not sure if that's going to end up having a Murdoch, a direct Murdoch connection. But, I mean, there's a, just a huge web that, again, Alec Murdoch's at the center of it. But so many crimes. I mean, 100 financial crimes, multiple drug crimes, all these fraud crimes, uh, or charges, rather. Um, but, but, Will, so, so is it fair to say that Alec is the reason Paul and Maggie are dead, but he's not the only reason. I mean, is that is that a fair characterization? I mean, whether it's drugs, whether it's retribution, whether it's a you know a hit for owed money, or I mean, a, a drug deal. I mean, I don't I don't have any idea, and I'm totally and completely speculating there. But but I've got this theory, and I want to get your take on this, and I, I want to get where I want you to tell me because you had a sense of the 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 I don't know the um the feeling, the sensation within the courtroom. You were there many many days. So you've got, you've got someone who has been privileged and entitled. You've got someone who I, I mean, you know, I'm making a judgment from afar, but privilege and entitlement, extreme narcissism, a bit sociopathic. Was he psychopathic and was he a monster to the point of, of, of killing his kid and wife execution style? That's where I can't get. I mean, I can get to sociopath. I can't get to psychopath and, and cold-blooded killer. Is that kind of what you're alluding to? Well, yes. And then when you look at the evidence that hasn't been made public, and I've, I've looked at it, the autopsy photos, the crime scene photos, I mean, they are things you cannot unsee. When you've seen them, you cannot unsee them. And you look at those images um, and you wonder how, how anybody could do it. For any reason, let alone a father to a son, a father to a, a wife. And it makes you wonder, did he, did someone do it on his behalf? Did he, you know, was it a hit that he didn't know about? We, and we just don't know. Um, but for whatever reason, he's not sane. And his attorneys have said, it's an Ozark situation. Remember, Dick Harpootlian, his attorney has said, it's an Ozark situation. Um, Harpootlian has also said that whatever he knows, he's not telling us. So it's a, if... Whatever the secret is, it's very closely held. But, but Will, if you're the truth seeker in this, and I think you are, are you nervous about who you might be messing with? No, because you just got to, I mean, we go when we go, man. You just got to got to dig. And I but there's some quick bad dudes. It. I mean, yeah. if Alec didn't do it himself, there's yeah. some bad dudes out there that, that you're inquiring about. Yeah, there were some stories. I will say this. There were some stories we did in the fall of 2021 that were zeroing in on some of the the potentially bigger drug connections because there was a name mentioned several times during this trial, Barrett Bowler. And Mr. Bowler's name was mentioned in connection with being a victim of Alec Murdoch on the financial front, but he was also a guy who was intimately involved in Operation Lost Trust. In fact, was indicted along with one of his relatives in Operation Lost Trust. And the uh, federal charges against them were dropped after the witness was run over by a vehicle down in Florida. So the case was against them was dropped. But this is a guy who was a shrimper, allegedly, but who was involved in a couple of different instances during, incidents during Operation Lost Trust where it certainly appeared there was some drug tr- smuggling, drug trafficking going on. And Alec Murdoch has tons of properties with this guy. 
some of the other PMPD lawyers had properties with this guy. They're all very strategically located down there in the sound and points that sure look to me like <laughs> ideal for lookouts. For And these are answers you're in pursuit of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the investigative journalist that you become uh, obsessed with, with I, trying to find out these answers? Yeah, I mean, I, and, and then you look at the, okay, look at the opioids he had. The, he, this guy had pharmaceutical-grade opioids. There's no chance... You're going to get a hot pill if you take one of these pills out Murdoch had because it's straight from a pharmacy with the markings on them. No chance of fentanyl or... or Correct, or, which is huge. Because, no question. I mean, in our day and age, I mean, you know, the, the likelihood of getting a hot pill is much higher than it was when, you know, we, we didn't have to worry about that when no. we were coming up, you know. We were bad talking about weed. Willie Nelson earlier. Bad we weed. didn't have to yeah. worry about that, you know. But um, Got some weed lace with something, freaks you out for a day or so. But there's there's two theories, Ken, to what to what happened. The first one is that this guy is a, quote, family annihilator, that he was, as the prosecution made the case during the trial, had all these pressures uh, beating down on him, financial pressures, the loss of his family name, his kid getting ready to go to jail for potentially 12 years. All this was coming down on him, and that he he offed, offed his family to, to escape that. The other theory is a hit, a hit. But either way, he's not talking. And, um, you know, Judge Clifton Newman, who I think was the real hero of this trial, the way he handled it from start to finish, he gave Murdoch an opportunity before he sentenced him to two consecutive life sentences. Tell us what happened. Tell us, you know, nothing. Interesting. That, that's a very interesting part of this. Let, let's shift gears. And, and you've done, and I want to I give you, and I'm not here to, to kiss anybody's ass, but I want to give you all the credit of the world for, um, I mean, when, when I'm sitting here watching the wheel do the work he did during the Murdoch case, I'm going, that can't be the guy. I mean, the, the, the nicest thing folks said about me. No, let me back up. I'm going to get on his ass for a second. The only nice thing he said about me during my uh, political scandal was I had a train hot smoking wife. As Which only a girl accurate. from the PD named Tammy could be. When I told her, I said, I'm, I'm going to interview Will on the podcast. She said, well, tell him thank you. I mean, uh, th- thank you for making that. Um, you and I both married uh, above our pay grade. Um, one of the central figures in South Carolina politics has been Nikki Haley. You're talking about a true believer in Sanford. I was a true believer in Sanford reforming South Carolina, um, you know, allowing the governor to have more um, more sway in how the state is, is potentially governed. Um, Nikki got on a rocket ship. I mean, I, I ran in 2010. She ran in 2010. I had a front row seat at Sarah Paley endorsing Nikki Haley on the steps of the Capitol. She would have been, well, I guess, a second-tier gubernatorial candidate. You had Andre, Gresham, and Henry. Probably you had a sitting lieutenant governor, a sitting member of Congress, a sitting attorney general, and Nikki Haley. Single digits. Yeah, single digits. um, What happened there? I mean, was it all about Sarah Palin, or is Nikki a, a much better politician than we gave her credit for at that time? Well, it was about Sarah Palin, but it was also about Mark Sanford dropping about four hundred grand in independent expenditure ads in support of Nikki Haley. And I tell you, those two have never, never gotten over that because apparently there was, you know, that was a deal that our good friend Tom Davis helped mm-hmm. helped work to get that money into Nikki's campaign because a lot of Sanford's folks believed she would carry on, you know, that Sanford legacy of going after these reforms that you were talking about. And uh, boy, I tell you it. The, the relationship between Sanford and Haley after that was bad. Well, and, and I'll say this, Will, and, and, and I mean, I know you well enough to say you'll say what you believe, and I think you know me well enough to, to say I'll say what I believe. I believe that Mark sincerely believed in limited government. 
I think Nikki believed in whatever was most politically expedient at the time. Um, she is the most ambitious person I've I've ever met. I'll, I'll second ever that. met, and I don't mean that in the most derogatory sense imaginable. She's in a she's in a a um a profession that requires ambition. I mean, really mm-hmm. and truly, um, she does. You've got a theory on Nikki as a presidential <laughs> candidate. Um, Nikki left the, the governor uh, the governor's mansion. Uh, Henry moves over from the lieutenant governor to the governor. Nikki takes a job as ambassador to the United Nations. I think acquitted herself fairly well in that job and that capacity. Um, Trump plucked her because he needed to pay Henry back for his loyal support of the South Carolina uh, presidential primary. But um, but but your theory about Nikki is very interesting to me. You you yeah. don't think it's as it appears. I don't and. Yeah, if you go back to Nikki's big play as a you know national contender was after the January sixth riding at the U.S. Capitol, and she was the most aggressive Republican in terms of criticizing Trump and placing the blame for what happened on January sixth on Donald Trump. And I think the calculation was that after January sixth, that the Republican Party was going to turn on Trump, and some of them did not as many as she calculated. And so I think you saw her in short order, very uh, inelegantly scrambling to undo some of the damage that she'd done with her, her quotes against Trump. Uh, And so for the whole year, 2021, she's trying, trying to get back in his good graces. He's having nothing to do with it. Finally, at the end of the year, he invites her to come to Mar-a-Lago and have an audience with him. It's almost like visiting a Pope or something. Yeah. Never been down there, but you know, I'm told it's like visiting the pontiff. But uh, at any rate, I'm not convinced that they didn't come up with some sort of an agreement there because obviously, in a head to head Trump versus Ron DeSantis matchup, Trump loses not not by a lot at this point, judging by the polls, sure. but but by an, enough of a margin seven, whatever points. And you ask Robert Cahaley this if he comes on, I'd be interested in his take. But when you throw any Republican into that head-to-head race, all of a sudden the anti-Trump vote gets split. And so if you've got Nikki in there, even if she, even if she's just drawing 5%, it's all coming out of DeSantis and going to Donald Trump. So what do you think the ceiling is for Nikki? Oh, um, I mean, can't I, she get to 12 or 15%? She can, and and I would say that simply because you know, she's the war party candidate, and you know as well as I Expound do. Expound upon that. I mean, the war party candidate, yeah. you mean what? There? The neoconservative, um, you know, the base that uh, defense contractors, um, the pro-Israeli lobby. I mean, we're talking about two of the wealthiest, wealthiest special interests in Washington, D.C. These people can anoint candidates. And somebody with Nikki's, you know, identity politic, I mean, let's let's face it, she's everything that you would want on your ticket if you're Donald Trump. For example, and so my theory is that that this is a grand alliance between Trump and the neocons. That Nikki helps him get DeSantis out of the way, and that he makes her VP, and that they run as a ticket. And, you know, Trump with Nikki as a vice presidential uh, nominee. I think that's a much better ticket. Well, well, there are several lines of demarcation. I mean, I, I do a four-hour radio show every morning. Um, there are good days and bad days. There are days I think I nailed the landing. There are days I think I struggled a bit to get to. To where I was trying to get, but but is it fair to say that one of the great lines of demarcation of the Republican Party 
is as simple as neoconservatism on one side and America first on the other side. I've evolved. I mean, I'm no rocket scientist, but I'm no moron. Um, I'm not buying the bill of goods that neocons have sold in, in relation to globalism, American imperialism, interventionism. Um, is, is that one of the most illustrative points about Republican politics? Is it, I mean, I know it's not as simple as that, but do you think that is one of the, um, the larger divides America first in this corner? Um, you know, I, I don't want to say American imperialism in the other corner, but the, but the war part of the war, mm-hmm. the, the, the former neoconservative movement. Yeah. And it, again, it's a, it's just, for me, it's a sphere of interest question provocation. I, and I told one of my kids this the other day, um, what would you think if a Russian drones flying over Lake Superior? You know, okay, well, that's probably how the Russians think about one of our drones flying over the Black Sea. So, you know, I, same with, you know, Taiwan and the, the South China Sea. You know, I, I just feel like we are, and again, I understand American interests abroad are important. I understand that we've got products that we need to move, um, markets that we need to reach. But my sense is that we're, we're hurtling toward this, you know, sort of zero-sum game, whether it's in Ukraine, whether it's in the South China Sea, whether it's in the Middle East, where we're just looking for a fight because we've got these interests, the ones that prop up Nikki Haley, and, and let's throw Israel in there. We're looking for a fight there, too. Again, I've got nothing against Israel, but do, do I think we should spend billions and billions of, do- of dollars we don't have to defend Israel? No, I don't. I'm, I'm sorry if that makes me a bad person for thinking that or saying that. I think that money should stay here. I think that money should stay here. Now, if anybody comes within... You know, our territorial waters off the coast of Myrtle Beach, you know, I think we saw what happens when you come off the coast of Myrtle Beach. Give credit to Joe Biden for shooting that thing out of the sky there. Um, that spy balloon off the coast of Myrtle Beach, you know, props to him for that. But um, it's a sphere of interest thing for me. You know, we trade with everybody. But other than that, don't try to assert yourself or pick a fight in somebody else's backyard. So you would be an America First Republican? Absolutely. Okay, explain what that means to you. Keep I, mean, I know money, what it means to me. but it's money expo- here. Okay. Keep our money here. Don't spend money making the world safe for democracy. That's not our damn job. At least that's what I believe. Okay. Is it is it as simple as, uh, in, in my world, w- when people would challenge me to intellectually defend my support of Donald Trump, I said, I think he's right on trade. Mm-hmm. I think he's right on China. I think he's right on immigration. And I think he's right on foreign policy. Um, and, and I can elaborate and dig in and, you know, I, when, when, and, and you wrote a little story about this, when, um, when Rice voted to impeach Trump, I mean, I knew he's done, you knew he was done. Sure. I mean, they were going to recruit somebody to run against, against, um, against Tom and they reached out to me and, and, and you would call me one day and I said, no, I have no interest. Choice. Well, I, mean, I, I said, look, if there's a, if there's a position as ambassador to Pauly's Island, I mean, I, I am just, just unbelievably interested in that, but, but not going to Washington to do the work of, um, of Congress. But, but, but I met with the club for growth mm-hmm. and the, the club for growth asked a lot of questions. And, and, and one of the answers I gave about China was tariffs. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they challenged me on that. How can you be a conservative Republican, free market Republican and believe in tariffs? I said, philosophically, I don't, but, but China's a unique example. And I think they have to be dealt with in, in a very unique way. Can the America First movement sustain without Donald Trump as its figurehead? If so, how? Well, you talked about the tariffs first, and obviously, you know, it's also different because they're manipulating the sure. currency. So it's a it's a counterbalance. Well, you kind of fight fire with fire, it's a counterbalance to yeah. the currency manipulation. But I mean, talking about the Trump thing, I mean, Trump has become so ubiquitous 
that so many of his views have become Trump views. And I don't think that, and, and I don't, I hesitate to call it isolationist. I think America first is better. I don't think it's isolation. If some of your people get kidnapped in another country, I don't think it's isolation. If, if one of your military installations in a country where you're authorized to be that wants you there gets attacked, obviously you fight back. Obviously you do. And so, you know, I'm not one of these limp wristed, you know, I don't want to hesitate to call them Ron Paul, you know, uh, you know, white doves. You're not I a pacifist. Do, not a pacifist. Absolutely not. But I think, again, we're, we're picking fights where we have no business picking fights. And I think that that's going to cost us more blood and treasure than we've got. I mean, just look at, you know, the trillion, six trillion, I think, spent on Afghan uh, and Iraq wars. A lot of kids for in wheelchairs. What? Yeah, for what? A lot, a lot of kids with... Uh, you know, prosthetic legs. We we got run out of that country. It was clear. I mean, that was just such an embarrassing moment for the country. And it, and it was so unnecessary. Why should we have been there? I mean, we should have learned from what happened to the British in Afghanistan, what happened to the Russians in Afghanistan. Just here's an idea. Don't mess with those people. Okay. Is is Trump an isolationist? I mean, he's, he's a nationalist. You would agree to that. I think but, he's but a I, But I don't think he's an isolationist. Do you? No, because, I mean, I think if you look at his record— he engaged the neocons were not completely put out by him and i think if he has indeed reached an agreement with nikki haley i would think that would signal an openness to that neocon perspective in certain situations but again we, we've come to think of these views as trump views and i think that's very dangerous i think america first doesn't have to be identified so you know joined at the hip with donald okay trump. i've got a theory if america first it is the way we need to identify moving forward. In other words, you've got Trump, and he's a force of nature. You know it. I know it. He's a political blunt instrument. He's a wrecking ball. He's a lot of different things. I mean, he, he you know, as a candidate, he made mistakes that most of us couldn't recover from, and he just plows ahead. I mean, he just says some of the most outlandish things, and he doesn't slow down, and he goes to the next stop, and he, you know, there's 30,000 people waiting on him to give a speech there. But, but I believe this, Will, and I want to get your take on this. I believe that Trump was the necessary disruptor. I mean, he was the wrecking ball that exposed the political system for the fraud that, that I think it is. I think the J.D. Vance, Blake Masters of the world provide intellectual underpinning. I mean, they, they really give a reason, an idea of how to move forward and sustain a political movement on trade. I mean, I'm with J.D. Vance on trade. I, I'm with Josh Hawley on, on some of these issues. I'm with Rand Paul and have been yeah. with Rand Paul, but Rand's a bit quirky. You know, J.D. can sell it to the mainstream. Josh Hawley can can do a better. Jim Jordan would be another. Uh, Mary. So, so, so the point I'm trying to, and, and the, I guess the question I'm asking is, when when Trump exits stage left, whenever that is, I mean, that could be tomorrow. It could be mm -hmm. 2028 after he wins the presidency in, in 2024. Is America first sustainable in relation to the intellectual underpinning required? Neoconservatism, like it or not, was a very serious mindset. Mm -hmm. The National Review, The Weekly Standard, George Will, William Buckley, mm -hmm. Bill Kristol. I mean, all, all these guys believed in the concept of neoconservatism, that there was intellectualism there. Mm -hmm. Can America first morph in to something other than a cult of personality like Donald Trump into a political ideology that can last for a couple of generations? Well, I hope so, because Trump, to call him an imperfect messenger is charitable. Um, I... I was done with the guy about a year into his first administration. As you recall, I, I'm a guy that I endorsed him. Um, 
Well, let me rephrase that. I endorsed the chaos that he brought to the GOP. You were for the disruption. I was for the disruption. I thought the system needed, particularly the Republican Party establishment, needed to be blown up, um, you know, salt the earth, and let's start over. And I thought Trump was an opportunity to do that, so I supported him over some of those other jokers that were running in 2016. But here's the problem. Trump campaigned on broad-based cuts to middle-income tax rates. Didn't do it campaigned on eliminating deficit spending and reducing the debt didn't do any of those and here's a guy on his way and that's first that's when he has all the power and all the juice coming into office literally bows to what the republican majority in congress tells him to do then on his way out the door signs off on this massive covid bailout which he calls a disgrace but signs it anyway as a lame duck and i'm trying to understand at what point during his four years in in office did donald trump do a damn thing to change that paradigm of big government beating down on the middle class. I mean, all the rich guys got tax breaks. Corporations got tax breaks, and that's great. Uh, there were some big dividend checks those years. But the working folks here in the PD, where I'm from, in the Midlands, they didn't get any help. So who's our champion? God knows, man. I'm still waiting on What them. was your opinion of DeSantis? <laughs> well, I'm not impressed so far, and I'll tell you why. And i got to give Nikki Haley a little credit here, whether it's part of some collusion with Trump or not, Nikki Haley has actually come out and taken some pretty aggressive positions on the entitlement issues, basically saying we cannot continue with Social Security and Medicaid the way that we're going. We've got to reform eligibility. We've got to look at cutting the ages, which is something we should have done decades ago, Ken, um, which would have saved us tens and tens of trillions of dollars. Um, and that puts DeSantis in a box, obviously, being from Florida, where you say the word entitlement, you get electric. Everybody's uh, 70. <laughs> right. So, and I wonder, is that part of that grand bargain that I think may have been reached between Trump and Haley down at Mar-a-Lago? What do you make of Vivek Ramaswamy? To me, he's got a lot of ideas. I mean, I know it's, I mean, I don't want to call it a novelty campaign. It's, it's, it's a, it's obviously a third tier campaign. Um, he's funding a lot of that through his own uh, resources. But, but he, he called into our radio show last Friday and, and I had a lot of feedback from um, people who are looking for what comes after Trump. He does seem to be will an ideas candidate. Well, he impressed a lot of people at the um, at this Palmetto Vision Forum that the Palmetto Family Council put on down in Charleston this past week, and I heard a a ton of folks who were at that who who responded favorably to him. They said that he was the only one that really took questions that engaged them intellectually. You know, they said Nikki Haley was very scripted. Some of the other folks that appeared there were you know not looking to engage intellectually, but that Vivek was you know would would debate with him sure. would hear him out would offer some intellectual justification for what he believed and why he believed it. so i any anybody with substance i'm telling you they're they're going to find a receptive audience first in the south voters can much smarter than people give them credit for they want substance now if you, you still need to package it in a way that you know it's digestible but sh- again government is so simple what are you going to fund how are you going to fund it you know where are you going to get the money from I mean, those questions are, are what it boils down to. But we, we're, we're losing. I mean, when you really think about it, and I look at the big issues, I look at, I mean, we're dealing with a, uh, we're dealing with a banking issue now. Right. I mean, in 2008, the world blows up. Government comes to the rescue. Mm-hmm. We, 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 you know, we, we have a, a pandemic, and, and government comes to the rescue. We're, we're having a bit of a, a meltdown of the financial sector as we speak, and, and here government comes to the rescue you know, I, I've got this theory, and, and it's kind of, um, I mean, it's a cop-out, but but I tell my wife, if I were to win the $100 million lottery, I'd buy a ranch in Wyoming and say, to hell with it all. 
You know what I mean? Uh, my side lost. You do. I look, mean, they look like that Dutton guy. Well, I mean, I hear like, you. Yeah, <laughs> but I drink my bourbon with uh, diet ginger ale. I, I, I profess to be a cowboy. I got a friend who said cowboys don't mix diet ginger ale, uh, you know, with, with their bourbon. But but stick with me for a second. So so I mean, I grew up in the business world. I, you know, my my father was a self-made businessman. I inherited uh, a lot of prosperity from his hard work, and I, I'd like to believe I didn't screw it up. I kind of held my own in that world. But, 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 but Will, the things that I was taught are important and essential to the American free market, the American private enterprise, are just being so distorted and manipulated by not just Democrats, but establishment Republicans. How, how do we get that proverbial train back on the track of allowing economic discipline? Uh, to, to me, we're, we're, we're allowing Congress to basically farm out economic policy to unelected bureaucrats, the Fed, the Treasury, the FDIC. I mean, you're a libertarian-leaning Republican. Mm-hmm. You believe in the free market. You you, you write well, and I'm talk a, a lot about it. I'm a cops and courts libertarian. Uh, 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 don't, throw I mean, no, don't throw but, a Republican I mean, in there. Don't throw a Republican in there. But I mean, <laughs> no. But but you are. I mean, and that's the that's the Sanford disciple in you. I mean, you yeah. believed that Mark was going to sell his soul to the free market saying mm-hmm. and, and less government intervention. But, but we, it's a duopoly. We have, we have a binary choice. I mean, when you go to the poll and you vote for one candidate or the other, I mean, you, you can, you can vote for the libertarian, you right. can vote for the green party candidate, but you know, as well I mean, as I do, it yeah. you're throwing your vote away there. So, so how do we instill upon a, a young generation of, of, of you know, politically ambitious people that, that, we, we better wake up and realize that things are dire. Uh, we got $33 trillion in debt. The Fed has $8.4 trillion on its balance sheet. Um, you know, the, the financial sector is is propped up by, you know, the, the printing of fiat currency and government manipulation. W- will you believe in things? I believe in things. You're a bright person. I'm somewhat intelligent. How have we lost so terribly bad in the grand scheme of things? How has our side that believes in the principles of the free market, how have we allowed, how have we allowed ourselves to get so just, 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 I mean, we're getting killed in all honesty. Well, we're getting killed because there's a battle for hearts and minds that we lost a long time ago, generations ago. I mean, you go back to, I think it all starts with indoctrination. And one of the reasons that I fought so hard for school choice was that you look around our communities and we've got just at the, the little church I go to in Irmo, South Carolina, we've got three or four ladies there who are former teachers who would be great instructors at a, you know, again, a private, you know, don't call it an academy, just a private little private church school. But there's no market for it because parents have no resources. You know, we're spending $18,000, $19,000 per kid per year in this government run system that continues to fall further behind rest of the country on any meaningful apples to apples comparison. I mean, we pass these, uh, you know, these school report cards that, that paint a better picture on things than, but when you, when you do this in test results, I mean, we're falling behind and we were already in a terrible position. So it's like one of the worst government run systems of education in the world, right here in South Carolina, right here in South Carolina. But we keep, Oh, let's just keep throwing billions and billions of dollars of, of, you know, stimulus money into it, COVID money into it. Governor Henry McMaster's uh, stimulus plan, hundreds of millions of dollars, again, for these failed bureaucracies, including quite a few of them here in the PD area, to be honest. 
but they're all over the state. And so until we start freeing that structure up, we're never going to win that battle because my kids come home, particularly though we've got three in public schools and the stuff they come home saying, let's just say there's some parental, uh, not correction, but we give them the context. Sure. sure. You know, cause they come home and they say, you know, I'm, I'm bad because I'm white. Am I, you know, stuff like that. It's like, no, you're not. God loves everybody. You know, but then, you know, we can't tell them to say that at school because you, know, you can't say God at school anymore. I mean, it's just we've lost that battle. And until we start winning that battle, the battle for academic freedom, we're never going to win any other fights, Ken. So so if, if we're talking about finance of the banking sector, the economy, if, if, if socialism was a stock and capitalism was a stock and we're going to play one of those stocks out for the next 20 or 30 years in the American economy, who do you bet on? I bet on capitalism because I do think people have started to see, you know, the, the, the strings that the puppet shows, so to speak, and particularly in this parental choice movement and just this broader COVID was big. Education's always been near and dear to your heart. You've always believed that if we can't effectively educate young people, we can't expect sound opinions on the other side. Is that a fair articulation? Correct. And COVID really exposed sort of this, woke indoctrination and again i get a lot of grief for being one of the because you know the mainstream media the post and courier the state newspaper they are all in for this you know the gender bending whatever you want to call it they're they're all in for that and and i'm one of the few news outlets that approaches these issues with critical thought and again i'm hosting a marketplace anybody with an opinion can say what they want to say and we'll publish it we'll print it if it's a smart take but i'm going to always always push for again those basic values that i'm trying to instill in my seven kids uh, and that I think are under attack in our government-run school system. Well, do you think you've moved the meter? I mean, do you think you've been effective in convincing certain people to believe in, in some of the principles, ideals, and values that you believe in? Well, I, it was nice to see in Governor McMaster's inaugural address, he talked about fixing the way we appoint judges in South Carolina. And I don't think that would happen if Fitz News wasn't kicking these judges in the balls on the on the daily basis. What do you want to happen there? I mean, what, how, what, what, do you, what judicial reform do you want to see in South Carolina? Anything other than what we've got. Clearly, a handful of... That's not a good answer. Now, give me a better answer than that. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what we've got first. Okay, okay, what we have now is a handful of powerful legislators picking which judges their colleagues elect in the legislature. The entire process is legislatively controlled, and it's literally, again, five or six ranking lawmakers that get to pick. Um, I've argued that public election should be something we should consider. There's clearly problems with that method, too. But if not that, perhaps gubernatorial appointment followed by a retention election. So let's say that you've got uh, the governor appoints with the advice and consent of, say, the whole General Assembly. Let's say it's not just the Senate, uh, but governor appoints with advice and consent. And then in two years time, you hold a recall election to see if that nominee stays. Um, I think recall across the board would be a good idea because, again, you've got politicians, for example, they're getting ready to try to throw Richard Ekstrom out of office, the Comptroller General, over a $3.5 billion accounting error, which, by the way, just goes to show how bad things are in South Carolina with our education. We've got the the top accountant in the state, can't find $3.5 billion, Ken. Anyway, I rest my case on that issue. But, um, again, that's a huge controversy that if we had a recall election, just let the public take care of it. Put the case to the public instead of all this insider deal making, because, you know, they're going to pick the next comptroller out of the General Assembly, just like they picked the treasurer after uh, they threw Thomas Ravenel out of office. So are are we too, is South Carolina too much of a good old boy state? 
But that, that, that's, a, that's a very generic way to ask the question. But, no, that's but a good question. you've argued that. I mean, you've, you've argued that over the years that, you know, p- political pre- political favoritism and, and I mean, the, the good old boyism of South Carolina has um has allowed us or not allowed us to perform up to our potential. It is. But, you know, Nikki Haley was a good old boy. You know, when it came down to it. Well, I mean, in all honesty, I was a good old boy, Will. They, yeah, well. But, she, I, I'm, but I'm you, didn't, with you. you didn't try and hide. You, no, no, you no, didn't no. run as something you weren't. You 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 were not. And again, but, we called you out when you were running. But, but, I think. but you and I have together, not not in the same room, not at the same time. You and I have done one thing that I think more people need to do. And I want to give you a compliment. We looked in the mirror and agree that we need to improve on certain things about ourselves before we ask mm-hmm. others to improve on certain things of, of themselves. I mean, I know you well enough to know that you've done that and you've taken that journey very seriously. I'd like to believe that I've done some of that same thing. What does Will Folks hope happens with Fitz News over the next decade or so? Just hope we keep growing and that in influence and impact expands. I mean, I do think that this state has so much potential. I mean, you look at how beautiful this state is. You look at how good most of the people are, honest people. I mean, I spent six weeks down in Walterboro, Ken, and I got to tell you, those are good people in Walterboro. I mean, we got to know so many. We were at some of the uh, houses down there. They had a Netflix party the night that that uh, documentary came out, and we got invited to go and hang out with these folks. And it's just salt of the earth, honest people, working hard, working too hard, to be honest people that need to have more time with their kids. Cause again, one of the ways that you win that battle for the future is time with your kids, being able to instill in them kind of the values that you were raised with. And if you're working two jobs or if you're working your one job, you know, to have, so you got no time with them, then that's not going to happen. They're going to be educated by somebody else, not you. So I, I just think there's so much potential here. If we can just get to a point where we are letting Parents have more say in the education of their children, whether it's through a community school system. Again, if we had a marketplace for that, it'd be amazing. You'd, ha- you'd see churches, uh, you'd see civic groups popping up in Milwaukee. It was it was the black churches that started school choice, black churches. Um, so if we do that, and if we, again, stop giving away $1.3 billion to Volkswagen and put that money in the small businesses of South Carolina, again, 95% of jobs in this state created by small businesses, not by these corporate handouts, like the one that went to the Panthers, which ended up going absolutely nowhere. You got another interchange to nowhere there. But Ken, I mean, it's your money shows where your priorities are. And clearly in South Carolina, our priorities are bureaucracy and well-connected special interests. It's not the individual taxpayers. What is the fundamental role of government in higher education? There is none. Government has no business being involved in higher education. How, how is higher education to perform without any degree of government funding. I mean, you think the free market, I mean, you just think the University of South Carolina should absolutely operate on its tuition and its fees and its fines and whatever comes in the door. Should have privatized it years ago. And the bigger problem is not just the appropriations that are made for higher education. It's the federalizing of all the student loan debt. I mean, here's the thing, Ken, if you and I, if you're a, a high, or if you're a high school student getting ready to go to college, let's say you have an idea for a small business. Think about the money. You get $150,000 or however much it would cost to go to college for four years. If you could get that, they won't guarantee that. They won't give you a loan for that. But if you want to, you know, do transgender Sanskrit studies, oh, yeah, here's a hundred fifty grand for you. Go ahead. Study that for four years. I, I, asked, well, I, mean, I, I asked a higher ed question because that's a segue. 
I, I know you to be a Gamecock. <laughs> so so we're going to play kind of word association. You ready? <laughs> you me. ready? Hit me. Whatever comes to your mind with these two words. Um, Don Staley. Best coach in the country. Any sport. Don't uh, like our politics, but amazing coach. Shane Beamer. Lucky so far. We'll see what he's got when it when it gets tough. Mark Kingston. Doing well this year so far and has to have it this year. Lamont Paris. I don't think he's going to last. Debo Sweeney. On the down downslide. Do you think so? I do. It, 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 explain that a little bit. But you think Clemson has seen its better day? You I think the run, the better part of the run is behind them? I do, and I think we're, we're just in this new, there's going to be more parity with the NIL and with you know everything. The landscape is just changing so fast. And again, I think Clemson was hitting it at the perfect time at the very end of that sort of golden age of college football. What do you make of the, of the super conference idea? The, the fact that the SEC and the Big Ten have clearly separated themselves monetarily from everybody else in, yeah. in, in the Power Five peer group. Uh, hey, it's like the Death Star. I mean, are we going to? Are this going to be one thirty-team conference? When is then? that? What the when do you see that happening? I don't know. It just you know, I go back. I still look at Maryland sometimes, and I think Maryland's in the ACC, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, no, they took the money, <clears throat> took the money as a member of the Big Ten. Um, Peyton Manning. Well, you know, Colts. Well, fan, that's why man. I'm asking. I, best quarterback ever. How did Next. you end up a Colts fan? <laughs> Well, they were 0-13 in 1986, and I felt sorry for them. I felt like, and at that time, there was no professional team in the Carolinas. And I felt bad for them. I was like, somebody needs to cheer for these guys and started pulling for them. They won their last three games that year and went to the playoffs next year with Eric Dickerson as their running back. Interesting. Um, explain the jersey and hat collection. <laughs> yeah, my wife I mean, they, is waiting on that explanation. Well, I, mean, I, I, I want to know. I mean, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going like, this guy's really smart and he dresses like that. I mean, I, you know, yeah, help I me understand that. Worn one. I had well, I mean, you, you, you look dignified. I I'm Stan impressed. Stan I told, I told jersey, you what, he wore a blazer. Okay. Well, some of my job, I've put on about 20 pounds down in Walterboro eating and he, some he of that had food. Barbecue and, oh, and, and pork chops and so stuff, man. So good. It was so good. But no, I'm a huge sports nut. Um, I collected cards as a kid, baseball, football, hockey cards. And so the jerseys just, um, you know, always liked them. And um, I've got four Chicago Blackhawks jerseys. I'm a huge Chicago Blackhawks hockey fan. And that was great about 10 years ago, but not so, not so great lately. But um, And, of course, I've got some Gamecock jerseys. And one you would like, I've got a 1967 Gamecocks baseball jersey. One of the original. Wow. Yeah, one of the original. How'd you end up wool, that? Uh, just collection and found it online and somebody was selling it and. So, Will, when people see you and I, they think, I mean, I don't know about in your world, but, but if I'm at the gym, people want to talk politics. If I'm at uh, the ball game, people want to talk politics. I enjoy talking about other things. Uh, that's why I talk a little bit. Of, what what, what yeah. does Will folks enjoy talking about off the clock? I love talking about people's kids and their lives and where, you know, just the simple stuff, where you work, what do you do? You know, when um, did you make faith an important part of your life? I mean, I know you've done that. Well, it was, a lot of it's been my wife. Uh, I grew up presbyterian share as much of that as you're comfortable yeah with. no i mean absolutely i mean i grew up presbyterian uh they call them the frozen chosen uh it was i went to a big political church in fact the governor henry mcmaster goes to the church i used to go to first pres in columbia uh but worship there to me again i'm not knocking them but to me it always felt like it was political and like a business meeting more than what it should be and again not to not to say anything too bad about the church but uh my wife got me in the lutheran uh, first Missouri Synod and, and more recently the Wisconsin Synod. And so uh, it's sort of very conservative, as you might imagine. But um, it's just been great, man. I mean, you 
you make that a part of your life and it, it definitely changes things. It changes your perspective because you know that, you know, whatever happens, all these fights we're having, all these issues we're talking about, you know, people always say, how do you do what you do? Not knowing that there's real justice out there. Well, we know there's real justice. It may not be on this side of the mortal coil, but there is real justice. No, no question about it. I'll give you a chance to do a shameless plug and promotion. How can people keep up with what it is Will Folks is doing? Yep. Check out fitznews.com. That's the website. We've got links there to all of our podcast offerings. We've got a couple of these going too. And you're right. It is not as easy as it looks, no, it's, man. It's, it's much harder. Yes. You're easy because you're easy to talk to. And I knew you'd have a lot of opinions and you'll share your opinions. A lot of people sit down and they have opinions. They're guarded about expressing themselves. I hope we get to a place where people can say what they believe and believe and believe what they say. Absolutely. And let those beliefs stand up to the test of, of the marketplace like we were talking about or stand up to the test of fitz news yeah there you Th- go there you go or can our show <laughs> good seeing you my man you too brother appreciate you thanks brother. for having me yes sir yes sir want to thank our sponsors carolina bank serves communities throughout northeastern south carolina offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need from straightforward accounts to complex finances they're prepared to help you reach your financial goals carolina bank banking on tradition since 1936 member fdic Schofields. Ace Hardware, your one-stop shop for all hardware, paint and lawn and garden needs, plus all things sporting goods, including firearms, safes, clothing, footwear, and more. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies. Pepsi of Florence also serve brands from other great companies, such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler, serving every county in the state, largest bourbon selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon a new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including Williams, Bryce, and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro Pete Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro Pete Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center. Uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at mpdccoop or pdec.com.